0: Well, if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the word of God and turn with me to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation in chapter number 19. We're currently in a Sunday school series dealing with the second coming of Jesus Christ. And may I remind you that a lot of people get stuck in signs and wonders and trying to look at all the different things that are happening around it when our attention should be on the Christ of the second coming. It should be Jesus that we're looking for, not signs and wonders. It should be Jesus that we're looking for, not the Antichrist and all of those things. It should be Jesus that we're looking for and not anything else. It should be all about Jesus. So with that in mind and that emphasis, look with me in the book of Revelation chapter number 19. The book of Revelation chapter 19. And if you don't mind, start with me in the book of Revelation chapter 19. And let's begin at verse number um, seven. Revelation chapter 19, verse number seven, to get a good running start. It says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made ready herself, or made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the white linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Write. Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the lamb and he that saith unto me there are the tr- uh, these are the true sayings of God and i fell at his feet to worship him and he said unto me see thou do it not i am i am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren That have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew. But he himself and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God and the armies which are in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen white and clean and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword and with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule with him the rod of iron and he should tread the winepresses of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords." And I saw an angel sitting in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together under the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of the kings and the flesh of the captains and the flesh of the mighty men and the flesh of the horses and them that sat upon them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army and the beast. Was taken in him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, and which he deceived them that had the received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant was slain with the sword of them that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth. And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. And with this, if you don't mind, let's notice in the book of Revelation chapter 19, and notice with me in verse number 11, and notice with him where it talks about in Um, Revelation 19 and verse 11, where it talks about the white horse and the emphasis is him that sat upon him. So who's this him, that white horse, and he that sat upon the white horse. With this, we're going to see the man who sitteth on the white horse and learn more about this man. Now, just to catch you up, as we've already kind of been going through this series, we've been laying some groundwork and giving an understanding of things to come. We know that the next thing on God's calendar is something called the rapture. Now, remember that according to the Bible, there are no more signs, no more wonders, no more things that must be fulfilled for the rapture to occur. Planets don't have to align, right? Uh, No disease, no plagues, no signs, no countries need to come up. There's nothing in the Bible that needs to be fulfilled before the rapture comes. Now, what is the rapture? The rapture means calling away. And there's a time where the Jesus Christ begins his second coming. And remember, it comes in two phases. The first phase of Jesus' second coming is that he's going to meet us together in the air. That's that calling away. That us that are <coughs> who have accepted Jesus as our savior, we're going to be disappeared out of here. The Bible says how quickly? One one thousandth of a second in a twinkling of an eye. That's pretty quick. But that's not quick enough for someone to say, wait, let me pray and finally accept Christ. You need to accept Christ now if you've not already done so. Immediately after, the rapture, we are going to have a period of time upon the earth that is commonly called the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, the time where God is dealing with the earth, for rejecting Christ. At the same time, the main purpose of the tribulation is to bring the Hebrew people to God himself, to bring them to him where they will finally realize that Jesus was their Messiah. Now we've already hit some of the details of how that's going to happen. We know that the Antichrist is going to be on earth. He is going to be the representation of Satan. We know that he is going to turn his back on the Hebrew people and put a big persecution. We know that there's a lot of things that happen. But what we find towards the end is the Antichrist is going to rally up all of the armies of heaven or of the earth and they are going to make a stand against God. Their idea is that they're going to finally show God is inept that God is unable by destroying all of the Hebrew people. You see, God made so many promises to the Hebrew people that if the Hebrew people are dead, then God cannot fulfill his promises. Therefore, God is a liar and cannot be God. That's Satan's secret plan. You know, he can't fight against God directly. So his plan is to make God a liar. And so all of the armies of earth are going to be bounded together to wipe out the Hebrew people and thus fight against God. And now enters in the man in the white horse. The man in the white horse comes, and when he comes, we learn quite a bit about him. First of all, let's see his description. Now throughout the Bible, especially Revelation, it makes mention of this, and we know that the... Clear interpretation is that this is Jesus Christ. We are talking about Jesus. Now, the reason why we're talking about his description is because a lot of people get the wrong description of Jesus in their mind. Some people go to the old Catholic photos of milk toast Jesus, wimpy hippie Jesus with long hair. Jesus never looked like that. That was an artist's rendition with faulty information that is stuck in people's heads. Some people, because of Christmas, all they see Jesus is a little baby. Oh... Little baby. Some people have in mind uh, uh, Jesus up on the cross, and he's not so much a God to be feared, but uh, a suffering person who's to be pitied. But the book of Revelation gives us a different picture of what Jesus looks like. Oftentimes, especially kids or brand new Christians, people will say, Well, what does Jesus look like? Well, we can't do any better than describe what the Bible says. So notice with me as Jesus gets a description. In the book of Revelation, chapter 19. Notice with me what he looks like as he comes down to establish his earthly kingdom after destroying the armies of the world. Verse number 12. Revelation 19, Revelation 19, and verse number 12. His eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew. Now, we know that there's several different descriptions of Jesus found within the book of Revelation. Just as a quick look, look with me in the book of Revelation chapter number one. Revelation chapter number one and verse number 13. You say, what are we trying to establish We're trying to establish that oftentimes we try to get a human picture of Jesus, but what happens, we get a picture stuck in our head that we often put an emphasis on his humanity to the neglect of his deity. I want to remind you that Jesus is God. Notice with me Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 13. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one unto the Son of Man, clothed w- with a garment down to the foot, girt about the paps with a golden girdle. And his head and his hairs were white as wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were a flame of fire. And his feet were like fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice sound, uh, as the sound of many waters." So we could see here, and the description goes on, but what we're getting is a description of Jesus as God, who is robed in flesh, who comes down to rule and to reign, that Jesus is God, and when Jesus Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation to begin his millennial kingdom, we could see here that Jesus Christ is God. In fact, as we go down, we just don't see his description, but we see his names. Turn back with me to Revelation 19. In Revelation 19, we have four different names of God, names of Christ, that are used in this passage. Now... Any kind of study on the names of God will show you that the names of God throughout the Bible are quite important. That God just doesn't throw around a name, but he always uses it for a purpose. That's why when we study the names of God, that you study the context that they're in as well. Because that context is going to tell us a little bit more. Why did God choose that name? Why is that name so important? Well, when God here uses four different names... He's placing a great emphasis once again. And let's see the emphasis. Notice if you don't mind, the four names of God found in Revelation chapter 19. The first one we find is in verse number 11. And I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. So the first name of Christ used in here is faithful and true faithful and true. With this name, we learn a lot about Christ. (laughs) Um, First of all, when he walked on this earth, you know what you could describe him as? Faithful and true. Here's Jesus while he was robed in flesh who never told a lie. He never disobeyed his parents. Jesus was perfect from beginning to end. We know that Jesus Christ is faithful and true as God. Remember, that's the whole thing that Satan's trying to do. He can't fight against God. So he's trying to make God a liar. So he's coming to destroy the Hebrew people. Then God can't keep his promises. But Jesus Christ comes back to defend the Hebrew people. Why? Because his name is faithful and true. He's the God who will keep his promises. And we can depend upon him. We can trust him because he is faithful and he is true. Notice there's a second name of God used in this passage, Revelation 19. And notice with me, if you don't mind, as we see a little bit more, an interesting name in verse 12. And his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. Now, this idea is a picture of many crowns, is carrying with it the idea that when he comes down, he is going to be the only king. He's the master king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. But notice there's the name. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Now that sounds like an interesting thing. That when Jesus Christ came down, he had a name that no one knew but he himself. Now context is king. When Jesus Christ is coming down, who is he facing? Not who is he bringing with him, but who is he facing? He's facing the armies of the earth. Why? Because they're trying to destroy God. What do you know about them? They don't know who Jesus is. Otherwise, they would have accepted Christ as their savior. That's the whole thing. Why do not people get saved? One of the reasons that Jesus gives himself in John chapter 4, we're not turning there, is that people don't know who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God who spoke the world in existence, who robed himself in flesh to dwell among us, to die on the cross to prove his love towards us, who rose again the third day, who now lives forevermore. He is the God who's faithful and true. We know him personally. We know his name. You know, there's something about a name. Let's imagine that you were to get married and then it comes time to get married. And they said, all right, do you? And they say your name except, and then the preacher kind of goes, um, I don't know this guy. Uh, Can you tell me what his name is? And the bride goes, you know, I never asked. (laughs) I I, I just nodded and smiled the whole time and pretended I knew, but wouldn't that be a problem? If you didn't know his name? (laughs) By the time you get married, you should know the name of the person you're marrying. Why? Because there's something about a name. You don't want to say, well, this person over here, well, who's that person? You know, I never bothered to ask what their name was. (laughs) Well, then how can you say, you know, someone, if you don't even know their name, that was the idea giving here. They don't know his name because they don't know that person. We as believers, not only do we know his name, but we have the privilege, privilege of knowing him personally. You see, when we say the name of Jesus, it's just not a name to us. Mm -hmm. There's something that goes with it. should be a feeling and should be emotion. Why? Because there's a personal attachment. Mm -hmm. You say, but I don't know about emotions. You you, you should do. I love my wife. Every time I say her name, there's an emotion that comes up. Mm Why? I mean, it's not just static. It's not just empty. It's not just emotionless. There's an emotion attached to the name. I love her. Mm -hmm. And so when I say her name, It brings up an emotion. Why? Because I know her. You do that with your friends. You do that with your family. But if they're a stranger to you and you don't know them, their name doesn't have any meaning to you. There's something about a name. That's why the studies of the name of God is very important. When we know Christ's name, we know a little bit more about him. Notice if you don't mind, there's a third name giving here. Notice with me in verse 13. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The Word of God. Oh, we're thankful for it. Remember, what is the main purpose of the Bible? Class, someone tell me. To reveal God to man. To reveal God to man. That is the main purpose of the Bible. Inside of the written word, God is trying to reveal himself to you. That's the whole purpose of the Bible. Remember that we have 66 books in the Bible. Each book of the Bible tells us something special and unique about God. So, <clears throat> my wife likes to put together puzzles. Have you ever put together a puzzle and find that you're missing pieces? Well, that puzzle's not complete. In order for us to know about God, we need to be familiar with all 66 books of the Bible because each thing tells us something special and unique about God. And if you are only concentrated, I have some people that say, well, you know, I'm only a gospel person, so I only read the gospel records. Well, you only have four pieces out of 66. Do you have a complete picture of who God is? There are some people that say, well, I'm just a New Testament person. I just don't bother with the old. Well, you only have 27 pieces. Of a 66 puzzle. You're missing a lot of information about who God is, more importantly, of what God wants you to know about Himself. Amen. You see, the purpose of the Bible, the written word, is to reveal God to man. Well, the same thing's true about the living word. What is the purpose of the living word? To reveal God to man. That God is so big that we can't understand Him ourselves. So God robed himself in flesh and dwelt among us so we can have a better understanding of who God is. That's why Jesus talked to his disciples in John chapter 14. And Philip says, hey, just show us God and it's good enough for us. And he says, have I dwelt so long with you that you don't know me? What do you mean? Well, if you know me, you also know God because I am God robed in flesh so you can understand me. So when it says, what is his name? It is the word of God. His purpose in being is to reveal God to man for us to have an understanding of who God is through the person of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Notice there's a fourth name. Revelation chapter 19, Revelation 19, and we have a fourth name given. Notice with me in verse 16. Revelation 19 and verse 16. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This tells us more about his deity and his title. Remember, he is coming to start the millennial kingdom where Jesus Christ will rule the entire world, not just a part of it, but the entire world. And he is going to rule this millennial kingdom for one thousand years. And during this time, there's going to be no elections, no election frauds, no military coups. There's going to be nobody trying to uh, assassinate him. No one's going to try to overtake the government. He is going to be firmly established as king of kings and lord of lords. And it's going to be a time of peace. And there's so many things with it. And this is his title. Again, to have four different names of God in just a small passage is very significant. But this is a significant event. What is the event? Jesus Christ is coming back from heaven, stepping on this earth to rule and reign for a thousand years, defeating the entire enemies and establishing his millennial kingdom. That is a significant event. In fact, there are two uh, peaks within history, some people say that history is cycler, goes in cycles, but according to the Bible, history goes through two different peaks of climaxes: the first thing, everything in history is building up to one event that was the first coming of Jesus Christ. Then, after that, we had the climax. Now everything is building up once again to a second event, the second coming of Jesus Christ. All of history is building up to those two events. When you study ancient history, you see that all of the world empires were lined up to prepare for Jesus' first coming. Uh, If you want, I'm not going to go through it now, but go back to my last Christmas message message last year on Galatians 4.4. And the fullness of time was come, and we prove that all of history was building up to that first event. And now we're a part of this second event that all of world history is putting together and building up to that second event, the second coming of Jesus Christ. So we've seen his description through his physical description and his names, but notice there's something else that we find in here. We see his armies we see his armies. Who are his armies? Verse number 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed him in white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Um, Up above in Revelation 19, it talks more about this armies. Who was his armies? That's us. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you are going to be joining this fight. You're going to be here going with Jesus Christ as he comes back on earth to establish his earthly kingdom. And we get to go with him. Well, what's this white raiment clothes? Well, the Bible's very big on pictures. And it gives a picture that he has taken off our old filthy garments. And he's put on a clean white garment. And he has given to us. He's given us a change of clothes. He has imputed his righteousness upon us that we're coming off clean. We're going to have a brand new redeemed body that will not be able to sin against God. I'm looking forward to that. I'm tired of sinning against God. I'm looking forward to have a a body that will not be able to sin against and that will be perfect and that will be obedient. That again, we're still going to have our own different personalities. We're going to shine. We've talked a lot about that during our millennial kingdom series, but we're coming back with him. We get to join him and be part of the millennial kingdom. We get to be with us. Now, the armies don't have any weapons. Why? Because we're not going to be doing any fighting. Jesus is going to speak the word and they're all going to die. Uh, All the enemies are going to die. The millennial kingdom is going to start with no lost people. And we just get to be a witness there. So we're all the armies to look big and bad, but we do nothing. Jesus does all the work. By the way, Aren't you glad we have a powerful enough God that He doesn't need us? Amen. He could do His work all by Himself. We just get to be there when He gets to do it. What a great God that we have. Then we come to His purpose. What is His purpose? Well, we know in verse number 11, He says, part of His purpose and I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat upon it was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. We know that this is going to be defeating the Antichrist and his armies that are standing against God. He is going to come back. Now the first time Jesus came, he was robed in flesh as a little baby. He dwelt among us as a human. The second time he comes, he didn't come to die on the cross of Calvary. He's coming back to rule and to reign. He is not going to be fragile and he is not going to be weak and he is going to come to rule and to reign. And by the way, he wins. He wins. And then when he comes back, he is going to come back to rule and reign in the millennial kingdom and start the millennial kingdom and fulfill the promises he made to the Hebrew people all of those years and through all of those passages. Remember, there are more passages dedicated to the millennial kingdom than any other subject in the Bible. And when Jesus Christ comes back, he is fulfilling the rest of prophecy, showing that he is faithful and that he is true and that he is a God that keeps His word. So as we come up, (laughs) wow, I went really quick. I'm going to have to stall for a while. We know that when Jesus Christ comes back, he is going to rule and reign for a thousand years. And we get to come back with him. And he is a God that keeps his word. So the question is, can you trust a God that keeps his word? What keeps you from following after him? You know, there are some people that still have their doubts. Well, I don't know if Jesus is going to do it. Try him and see. God's made plenty of promises in the Bible. Can you trust him? Can you depend upon him? We can. His name is faithful and his name is true. And we can trust him.